And this is View of the Valley's podcast with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you doing today? Well, kind of mixed emotions today. I'm excited. My wife and I are getting ready to head up to uh, Wisconsin, go to IndyCar races up at Road America. It's the first one that's going to be open to fans on the IndyCar circuit and widely considered by many uh, race fans in America to be the best race course in the country. I mean, you think of Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway for an oval, but when it comes to a road course, uh, Road America just outside of Sheboygan, Wisconsin, is widely considered to be one of the great ones. And there's a two-for-one, so two races this weekend, uh, lots of race time. And uh, on the other hand, I think just here in the last hour, two hours, the Ivy League has canceled all fall sports, uh, which makes me concerned. Do we think that that's going to be the first domino to fall and other leagues will follow or is it or do you think the sec the big 12 big 10 do they just look at pushing it back and maybe playing spring football well see and if i'm not mistaken wasn't it the ivy league weren't they the first tournament that canceled their conference tournament during march i don't know it all happened so, so quick. quick i mean like uh there, there was a piece the acc network did a piece where they had teams like getting ready to play and like nope we're done i think it was the Big East, weren't they at halftime yep. of a game? And yep. But it, that happened so quickly. I think we didn't really understand the magnitude of the pandemic that we were about to hit, and that happened so quickly. Yeah, it was I, just dominoes when that happened. But with them canceling you know, all their fall sports, I don't really know how much that affects the Ivy League. I mean, you know, they're not hurting on money anyway in that conference. Yeah, their endowments are huge. I mean, they, they think what those people do for a living, that you you walk out with a Harvard diploma, you're probably going to make pretty good money and return that tenfold to the school. Well, sure. And, you know, with them not hurting on money, you know, the, it's not their football program that, or football programs that bring in, you know, the money anyway. And, you know, they don't have – an Ivy League team that goes into the FCS uh, playoffs anyway. They don't participate in postseason play. So it's not like them not playing football is affecting anybody else except their conference. Right. But, you know, the other sports there, you know, I'm not sure how much money's generated through that either. Yeah, and I haven't had a chance to look at it. I wonder how much that affects other leagues. Like, who else is playing those Ivy League teams? A game or two, something like that, especially for those conferences, you know, like the Northeast Conference, you would think has some matchups, things like that. Um, so you have to look at that ripple effect and what's the effect going to be for other football programs. Now they're scrambling to find a game where now they're sitting there going to go, hey, the smart kids are taking the, the year <laughs> off. Maybe we should follow their lead. Well, and, and that's a good point. Like, if you were another program that, you know, was going to be playing an Ivy League member, even if it was a home game for that other conference, I mean, that's huge because not only are you losing a home game this late, you probably aren't going to be able to find a – another team that has an open week yeah, your best route is like say if you were supposed to play harvard at home maybe yale was supposed to host somebody and you pick up their opponent that same week but you know just having a small glimpse into it at the high school level it is such a uh, a, a crapshoot for lack of a better term that when something like this happens it's a, it's a mad scramble you're all of a sudden you're looking for a team you know school i work at one of the schools on their uh football schedule went eight-man football well you know, here we are finding out in January that we got to find another game, and then you got hope someone else has the same week that that's open. Yeah, um, I know they had the MVC media call yesterday, which would have been Tuesday, uh, July seventh, and 
you know, Doug Elgin talked about, the, the commissioner of the NVC, that this is a real concern, that we're not sure if we're going to be able to get this off. And, you know, uh, Greg Lansing, the head coach at Indiana State, said, he, you know, he, he's scared to death that we're not going to have a season. And it's just I know everyone's trying to plan like we're going to do it, but with the, the numbers go up and whether you want to believe them yep. or not or you want to say, hey, that's testing because we're testing more, that's what people see. Do you want to put your kids out there? And I think uh, maybe a real litmus test is going to be what we're going to see with Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, because if they get to a situation where they cancel, and those are guys that are making millions of dollars to do it, where a kid, whether you want to say he's compensated in terms of his scholarship sure. and the other thing that comes with it, or say he's doing it for free, he's not making that kind of money and potentially putting those millions of dollars on the line if you're a kid that's looking at you're going to play in the NBA or a really good career in Europe or in the G League. Well, you know, you talking about, you know, the reality hitting with like the COVID, you know, Ivy League's canceling. It's it's not only just affecting, you know, collegiate programs, leagues, professional. I mean, you know, with myself coaching a, a travel summer baseball team, you know, our tournament this weekend, it was supposed to have taken place at four of the local uh, colleges, universities in the St. Louis area, but the universities aren't allowing competition on those fields. So now the organization that runs that tournament is now scrambling to find, you know, other fields that are somewhat decent, you know, right. whether it be high school or, you know, frontier league stadiums that will allow competition in Missouri. Right. And one of those stadiums or fields they were going to use was St. Mary's high school in Missouri. And there were gunshots at the tournament last week. Wow. So that, that and one of those things that you get to, there's so many tournaments now that you have to have a draw and yep. playing on college fields, probably, I would guess, some of them with field turf so that you don't have to worry about rainouts. That's a draw. It hey, is. we're going to go to St. Louis. We know we're going to get to play. We don't have to worry about rainouts. It's going to be nice college stadiums. And now you're playing in an area which the field may not be as good, maybe may a bad field because you were scrambling at the last minute and that hurts your tournament long term when you. You invite someone back next year, like, no, thanks. We tried that and it didn't work. Well, yeah, because because you advertise, you know, these nice fields because they're all turf. So if it rains, it's not going to affect it because it's right. turf field. But now you you participate in that tournament, and you realize, well, it's not exactly what it was all you know chalked up to be. Right. So maybe we're looking at going a different route. Right. Because those tournaments aren't cheap. Right, and you got to pay for staying overnight and traveling. That that takes on a whole nother facet. But during today's episode, we will discuss our favorite basketball movies. Former SEMO head coach and current Cleveland State assistant coach Dickie Nutt joins the show to discuss what it was like taking over a program that was dealing with violations and basically rebuilding the program. And at the end of the show, TJ does his Mount Rushmore on Northern Iowa, while I have my Mount Rushmore on SIU Edwardsville. First, first things first, TJ, we will discuss our favorite basketball movies. I think you have yours in order from one to three. Mine are in no particular order, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, I, I listed mine three through one uh, to do a little bit of a countdown. And, you know, I will be the first to uh, tell you that these aren't maybe the greatest films of all time. They're not uh, going to be pulling home, you know, the number of awards that other movies might things like that. And there's even some of their technical basketball stuff that's just not there. I just went with movies that if this movie's on, I'm locked, I'm, I'm locked in. You know, there's a handful of movies that are like this, and these three basketball movies are that way for me. So I'll start with number three, go back to 1994, Blue Chips. 
I don't know if that's a movie that you're familiar with, but uh, Nick Nolte is a head coach of uh, Western University, and they've you know had their success, and now they're dealing with some problems at their program in terms of you know uh, a point shaving potential scandal. Um, the program's not as good as it had been. You know, they're not getting the same kind of players that they are. So then they kind of give the green light to the boosters to, hey, let's get some guys in here. And they bring in – and that's one of the neat things about this movie is they bring in legitimate basketball players. Penny Hardaway, uh, Matt Nover, I think it is, that plays uh, the uh, Ricky. And then they, they land Shaq as well. And what I love about that movie, I think, from a basketball standpoint, is that, you know, like I said, they brought in guys that actually played. They had cameos from Dick Vitale, Bobby Knight, and some of those uh, players like that that were – or coaches like that, personalities, and then actual professional basketball players, mm-hmm. the guys that were really successful. I think Bobby Hurley's in it as one of the point guards. Um, but I like – when they're going through the practices, when they bring those guys in, and Nick Nolte's over there coaching, and it, and it feels like, hey, he's like had some points. You almost feel like Bobby and I was telling, like, hey, here are the things you want to do sure. when you're coaching these guys up and stuff like that. And I guess another reason is I have a little bit of a personal connection. There's a guy that was my my sister worked for a semi professional hockey team in Huntsville, Alabama, and her boss was one of the guys on the Western Dolphins that he was one of the stand-ins because he'd played at UCLA. So there's one scene when they're doing those uh, scenes where they're practicing, and he's kind of riding Shaq about it or whatever. He's like, Kevin, get in here. And here, and the guy's name in real life is Kevin. So he comes trotting into the screen, number 45. And like he says, every couple of months or so, he'll get a royalty check because it was on TNT for a weekend or something like that. And then he also had the chance to stand in in uh, Space Jam as one okay. of the Monstars. Like, so he was there in front of the green screen doing that kind of stuff too. So it's kind of a, a neat connection. And like I said, and I don't know if you've seen the 30 for 30 when they talked about uh, – the Orlando Magic with Shaq and Penny, that the draft was coming up and Penny wanted to go to the Magic. Like he knew, like, hey, I want to play with Shaq. So he made it his goal that every time Shaq wanted the ball, I'm getting you the ball. I'm getting the ball. And Shaq said, he goes, man, we were playing, you know, just trying to shoot these scenes. Every time I put my hand up, boom, it was right there. He goes, so I went back after that and like, we want to, we want to draft this guy. <laughs> And then the Magic drafted Chris Webber. He said he was angry, and then they ended up trading for Penny, sure. and the rest is history. So I always like those little side stories and things like that. So that was my number three. Which, what movie do you have on your list? So the first one I'm going to go with is Hoosiers. I'm not sure if that's one of them on yours or not. Absolutely. Kind of figured it would yep. be. Um, but I just love how uh, Gene Hackman really played that role as the coach. Um the way he was basically given a redemption chance to come in, kind of fix the program. And to me, that kind of looks at reality for a lot of basketball programs because there's some guys that are given that one last chance to come in and basically either make a name for themselves again or if if it doesn't work then, that might might be their last chance at a coaching job. Yeah. If if you want to do a podcast – about one movie and one movie only, like an entire episode, I could probably talk forever about Hoosiers. And see, that's how I am for Major League, the movie baseball. Okay, yeah. That's the first, Major League's the first rated R movie I was allowed to go see by myself. <laughs> and I'm sure my mom now afterwards is like, holy cow, we let him watch this? Like, it was great, mom. I was like 14 years old. <laughs> so, but I, I've, if you ever get the chance, and this movie's on your list, this is my number one, so we'll just skip ahead to that. Okay. Uh, you can still go to the gym 
where they played their home games. It, it's in Knightstown, Indiana, which is east of Indianapolis, just off Interstate 70. And it's a little ways but you've been down there, the road. Yeah. I've been there a couple times, and the people there are fantastic. And one time I went, my oldest son, I want to say it was 2012. Yeah, 2012. So my oldest son would have been the summer he turned 10. We were there, and this, this guy was giving us a tour and stuff like that, like these volunteers from the community that let you, you know, walk around with you and tell you everything about it. We go down in the locker room, and if you're familiar with the movie, you know you know all the speeches and things like that. So my 10-year-old son, as we're walking up out of the locker room at the Hoosiers gym, goes, Dad, I want to win this one for all the small schools I never had a chance to get here. I'm telling you what, it got dusty in that room in a hurry. I was like, oh, doctor, <laughs> you know. So, and uh, – you know, Hinkle Fieldhouse at yep. Butler University, where they still play, is fantastic. The first time I walked in there was with my wife, and we were on the sideline, and I could hear Gene Hackman screaming at him, like, what? Maybe they're right about us. Maybe we don't belong up here. But I just learned this in the last few months, and one of the uh, the producers of the movie, the guys that made the movie, director or writer, it wasn't Angelo Pizzo, he said that Gene Hackman like pushed him on every part of this, hated it. And there's a scene, if you remember where they're doing the montage after Jimmy joins the team, mm -hmm. and there's a scene where De Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper are laughing on the bench. They found out later that Hackman was saying to Hopper, I hope you've invested your money well because after this we will never work again. That's Hopper's laughing about that. And I think the director – is the one he just confirmed that on the Rich Eisen show in the last oh, month or wow. so, and you know he just was not a big fan of it. Also, the guy—I'm sorry—I'm going on forever. No, but no, you're fine. The guy that plays Jimmy Chitwood never made his high school basketball team. Yep, I, I did not know that. Yeah, so they said they're in Hinkle Fieldhouse and they're trying to get in, and they had got permission from uh, the Indiana High School Association to have some teams play there so they could get some fans and stuff like that. And his, this, I forget the actor's name. I apologize. His former high school team is there, or at least his coach. And he's sitting there. He's trying to get that last shot off, the, the Bobby Plump shot, you know. And he's not hitting it. He's not hitting it. They said, like, the director of photography, who knows nothing about basketball or the art director, something along those lines, walks by him and goes, you're not looking at the rim. And the actor said, I knew I had it then. So they tell them, like, all right, so he tried, couldn't make it. So they go, all right, we're going to shoot this. Even if he misses, act like he made it. So we're just going to go bananas like he made it. So he comes in, first take, boom, he hits it. They do it a couple more times. He says he walks out of the gym right past his, the coach that cut him three times <laughs> or four times, however many times it was. Just, I mean, you watch that guy shoot. You're like, that dude did not play high school basketball. That is, he did not make the team. That's wild. <laughs> so I just I love all those stories. But the coaching at the end is horrible. Yeah. I mean – South Bend Central, you're up four, and you're going to shoot the basketball from 16, 17 feet without, like, what are you doing? Yep. And then Gene Hackman's not going to give it to Jimmy Chitwood at the end. I mean, come on, guys. A lot, a lot of head-scratching decisions. Yeah. You know, and it's you know, Bill Simmons, who used to work for ESPN, I think he's got his uh, The Ringer now, talks about it. He goes, yeah, they had that four-pass rule. When Jimmy came back, I guess we just threw that out the window. <laughs> we don't talk about passing four times, get Jimmy the ball and get out of the way. <laughs> I mean, there's just, I mean, we could we could talk about this forever. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to bore our listeners, but I just go on and on about that movie. And it's one of those, it's, every time it's on, yeah. I'm locked in. So it's it's a great flick. Yeah, so, it's a good one. 
I'll let you, since we did my number one and my number three, we'll let you get on to your list okay. before I get to my number two. Uh, the next one on my list uh, is Coach Carter. Um, now, this one may not be in a lot of people's top threes, but I'm a big fan of Samuel L. Jackson and the way he goes about acting. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons why I, I think Coach Carter is a good movie is not only is it well-directed, but kind of like Hoosiers, it also goes to reality at this point. Like, Coach Carter tries to, you know, portray that there's more to basketball than, or more to life than just basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, when he locks the gym doors and, you know, he's really trying to portray to his players that, you know, if you want to be a basketball player, you got to do this, you got to do that. You know, it's not just show up and play basketball. You, know, you got to go to class, you got to do all that. So yeah, I, I like that movie a lot too. That's one that I actually had considered. Samuel Jackson always steals the show, you know. Yep. Um, and, and just feels like he's. We always think of him, you know, saying "mother effer," but you know that movie he doesn't need to, and he just. I I, I think I really like the scene where they're hot dogging it too much, and you know where they're taking the pictures of each other, and then yeah. at practice the next day he's like, "Oh, I tied my shoe. Did you see that?" <laughs> You're like, "What the heck's wrong with you, coach?" Like, "Oh." I thought, thought you were going to give me accolades, basically, for doing what I was supposed to do. <laughs> you know, kind of put the kids in their place, stuff yep. like that. So, uh, number two on my list, and the third one that I'm going to talk about is White Men Can't Jump. Now, I am not going to sit here and pretend like Wesley Snipes was a basketball player or Woody Harrelson was great, you know. Uh, but I just love the movie. I love the trash talk, you know. Uh, all of those guys, they, they just the, – the chemistry of those guys and watching that movie – uh, unfold is just a lot of fun to watch you know it's another one of those movies i was probably too young to watch uh you know by myself you know one of those radar movies and but do i watch it with my kids yeah i do but it's just i just you know all the one-liners that come out of yep. it and stuff like that it just one of those movies i really enjoy i just i don't know why he stuck with uh the girl that he did he being woody harrelson she always blamed him for losing the money like well you owed money to the guys sure. that the loan sharks that were coming after you, it was her. It was Rosie Perez, but she always blames Woody Harrelson. Now he made dumb uh, money decisions, but still, it's like this was this was fifty fifty. It wasn't like when <laughs> he was the only one making bad financial decisions here. Yeah, and I mean, whenever you think of foods that start with the letter Q for Jeopardy, you, you have to think a white men can't jump. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you bring up that one too because uh, buddy Jason Guyette, who you know as well. Uh, his favorite two were the two on your list outside of Hoosiers, the, the exact uh-huh. identical two. But third on my list, uh, above the rim, uh, just like the other two, you know, when I obviously I like watching sports movies, but when it comes to certain sports movies, I also like to try and see how it, you know, it relates to an actual story like outside of basketball. And this is another good one as, you know, you see time and time again where there's, you know, a talented athlete, whether it be high school or college or even once they get to the professional ranks, you know, in this movie, he gets caught, you know, in the wrong crowd, basically, with drug mm-hmm. dealers. And that's something that happens in everyday life, you know, some depending on what area you grow up in. I mean, it, it's part of your normal, right. normal life. It's your, you know, I don't say, I guess childhood. Right. And it's how you, you don't know anything different. You know, it's just part of the way life is exactly and you know a lot of a lot of players will use you know that sport to get them out of that you know i guess time period or you know zip code whatever right 
that's why I like the movie because it shows you know some struggles as well. Yeah, Darius Miles uh, did a piece. I believe it wasn't the Athletic. It was the one the magazine or the the website that does it. It's the athletes do the articles and stuff like that. Okay. But being from East St. Louis, which is just down the road from us, he talks about kind of what that's like and how he because he was talented other people protected him and that when he got out you know there was always this expectation that he was supposed to you know take care of all those guys that looked out after him all those years and you try to do that and being an 18 19 year old kid with millions of dollars in your pocket all of a sudden you know there's a lot of adults who don't handle money well much less an 18 19 year old kid and that led to a lot of his financial problems but he talks about all those kinds of things like you know that movie explores as well and similar to uh i just lost it now the denzel washington movie um he got game okay i think that's the one i'm thinking of with ray allen as as jesus uh, yeah and you know that kind of talks about the hardships of you know trying to please your father and uh, the high stakes of going to play college basketball so i'm not as familiar with above the rim but it sounds pretty familiar to he got game and and then the other one I wanted to mention, which, you know, not a top three, but, you know, if I want a good laugh, then I'll watch Semi-Pro just because there's, <laughs> the there's, there's, there's a lot of a lot of good one-liners in there. And, you know, anytime Will Ferrell's in a, in a movie that's comedy, you know, it's usually yeah. give you a good laugh. Yeah, I think when you think on the documentary side, uh, Hoop Dreams is one that yeah. always comes to mind. Just, that was supposed to be like a half hour, one hour special that they were going to do. And they follow these kids for five, six years in Chicago, and just you really kind of see the ins and outs of the cutthroatness of even high school basketball in the city of Chicago. So that's always an interesting one to watch, even though it's 25 years old now. Sure. With that, that'll wrap up our uh, you know our favorite movie discussion. But with that, let's go ahead and bring in Coach Dickie Nutt, as Coach Nutt is on the phone. So we are joined by former SEMO head basketball coach and current Cleveland State assistant coach, Coach Dickie Nutt. Coach Nutt, how you doing? Doing great. Thank you. Yep, thanks for joining today. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, well, talk SEMO hoops. So we'll get it started with what was it like taking over the SEMO basketball program, you know, amid all of the NCAA violations from the previous few seasons and, you know, basically starting from the bottom and working towards seasons that ended up finishing with back-to-back winning records. Well, it was um, it was certainly a challenge, um, and the athletic director that hired me, Mr. John Shaper, um, told me that it was going to be a an, uh, a very difficult uh, thing to do. And and uh, of course, I was so optimistic, and I said, "No, this <clears throat> we're going to be able to get it done." But but you know, we out of 351 Division One schools at the time. I think SEMO was ranked 350. And so we were one or two teams from the worst team in the country and um, coming off a 28-game losing streak and uh, not to mention the NCAA probation that you mentioned yep. and and also the APR problems. We, we knew we had uh, a problem. But um, nonetheless, uh, we felt like that but we were able to uh, – put together a good foundation uh, with some good young student athletes that uh, wanted to be a part of something. And um, so, so we're, we're, we're proud of that. I know that we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't reach our goal to get into the NCAA tournament or, or winning an OVC title, but we certainly got close and, 
and even even pick uh, first a couple of years after uh, we got started. But but it was good. It was a good time, and uh, I certainly enjoyed my my short stay there. Well, I know you know once you took over, you know it took a couple of years to to get going, you know with recruits and stuff. But you know by the time you had left, I mean you at least gave the you know the, the people of Cape Girardeau and you know other Ohio Valley Conference fans, um, you made it known that when you played Semo, you were going to get a game. It wasn't just going to be a, you know another pushover game like it had been in previous seasons. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and, and, and we did. We put together a really, really uh, solid foundation, um, and, and that's the thing that I uh, was trying to convince um, our, our young young guys that we were recruiting that uh, just come and get in on the on the on the ground floor, and if 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 you can play with all your might every night, um, you know we, we'll we'll have a chance to compete, and, and we felt like we did that. So. What was it like trying to find a solid non-conference schedule during those first couple seasons at SEMO after you took over when the team was three and twenty-seven? Well, that was one of the um, believe it or not, it was the easiest thing to do <laughs> when Everybody's I arrived. To play, yeah. <laughs> but after uh, after the first year and especially the second year, we we had major problems in trying to to fill the non-conference schedule. Um, because no one really wanted to come to Cape Girardeau. And so with that being said, and then you add on top of that, our problems that we had in the budget. And after my first year, unfortunately, John Schaefer retired, uh, who was an outstanding athletic director, a very experienced athletic director. And he knew what it was going to take to turn our program around in terms of everything from a to z whether it be budgets whether it be scheduling whether it be anything and um so once we you know had a a new athletic director come in obviously the budget is always the biggest problem and so now you're out there playing three and four money games to start every year so you're you're basically going to kansas and 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 oklahoma and all these Memphis and all these teams that you're playing for money. So you're starting out almost every year, Oh, and four. So you're just, you're trying like, you know, like heck just, just to get back to 500 and to get your team in a position where they feel good about themselves and able to compete. Once they did get in the Ohio Valley conference with the likes of Murray state, uh, Belmont and all those guys that were pretty good. And so uh, with all that being said, it was just a difficult time. Um, after the first couple of, after the second year, we really had a hard time trying to field a non-conference schedule because everybody didn't, nobody really wanted to come to Cape Girardeau. And so what we tried to do is really tried to uh, take the teams that wanted to play a home and home series that at least would give our fans an opportunity to see good basketball, um, and, and play a good schedule. But that was a difficult thing to do. So it seemed like every everything started to click during the 2011-12 season as some good recruits started making their way into Cape Girardeau. Where does the 2013-14 team rank talent-wise throughout your time there as a head coach or at any school? Because, I mean, you had the likes of Tyler Stone, Nino Johnson, Jerichus Bradley, your son Lucas Nutt, and then you also brought in like transfers like Josh Lankford and Corey Wilford too. Let me tell you, I, I had a young man on my staff by the name of Jamie Rosser, 
<clears throat> and he played for me at Arkansas State. He was an assistant coach for me at SEMO. And I took him right out of the city of Memphis, a high school coach. And and he really was a phenomenal, phenomenal recruiter. <clears throat> and, and Chris, let me tell you, that team that we had that year, and, and I'm disappointed that, you know, and I obviously take the blame for not being able to get us to the highest level with that group of talent. Sure. We, we had an amazing squad there. If you look at Tyler Stone, um, Nino Johnson, you mentioned him. Lucas Nutt held those guys together. Jerikus Bradley. Um, that year was a really special year for us. And when and I think we won 18 games that year. Yep. Uh, and again, 18, it may be a little bit deceiving because if you look at the non-conference, I mean, we're playing all, we, we had to play a lot of these games on the road sure. um, and, and playing the money games. And we, we never did really get to play a schedule that could really help us and boost us where when we did have our success in the OBC, like we did, and I think we ended up second that year, um, instead of winning 18 games, you're winning 23. And, and and now you have a chance for a postseason tournament, whether it be a CIT or, uh, you know, whatever, NIT or something. But, but with all that being said, that was one of the most talented teams um, that I believe I've ever coached. I, I have to credit Lucas a lot for that because – he, he took those guys uh, <laughs> under his arm and kept those guys in sync every day, and that was a great thing. Now, when he graduated in the following year, I had we had a really another group of really talented guys. You had Josh Langford coming in, eligible, you know, and all those guys. And, and we just – everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Um, uh, we, we, we had some guys not really uh, doing what I asked them to do in the classroom. Um, and, and let me give you an example. Uh, so we have a young man that's that's probably our best player. Uh, it wasn't Tyler Stone, but one of our best players. Um, when I informed them that we're leaving tomorrow to go play Tennessee Martin, we're going to leave at 11 a.m., but make sure you go to your 10 o'clock class, and then you get out at 10.50, and then we'll get on the bus. Sure. Well, he just happens to, to think that, well, hey, I don't have to go to that class. Hmm. And, and, and he was our leading scorer, and he was our best player. And so he comes bebopping on the bus about 11 o'clock after the teacher called me and said, hey, coach, you know, so-and-so's not in class. And so when, when he got on the bus, I said, hey, hey, let me, let me ask you a question. Hmm. I said, I, I asked you to go to class this morning before we left on the bus. So was there some confusion there? And he said, coach, I'm not here to get it. Uh, you know, I'm not here for academics. I'm here to play ball. And, wow. and, and I said, I said let, let, me, let me tell you how this works. Um, you go back to your apartment, go back to your dorm. You go ahead and go to your 1 o'clock class because we're going to go to this game this weekend without you. And, and, and so, mm-hmm. and that's the disappointing thing with me because when I was fired, when my athletic director called me in and said, now, Coach, we're going to make a change. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, you just signed me to a three-year deal. We just sure. won three three back-to-back winning seasons. We've been to the tournament five out of six years. You know, well, why are you doing that? He goes, well, it's all about winning, and we felt like that we underachieved, and it's all about winning. And I said, well, I understand that. He said, well, you know, you didn't take your player, your best player, uh, to Tennessee Martin, and, and we got beat. And he said, that was a crucial time in our year. And I said, well, let me just tell you something. You probably have the wrong guy because 
at the end of the day, it's about that academics. And if he's not taught that he's here to get a degree, then we're going to do this young man a terrible injustice. And so that's where you and I disagree. Um, I, I know you say it's all about winning. I'm, I'm certainly, I believe that. But let me tell you, when someone makes a mistake like that and chooses not to go to class, hey, he doesn't get to play. And and that's just the way it is. And that's, and um, you know, and I, it, but, but with all that being said, yes, I'm disappointed. We weren't able, I wasn't able to get that team to the highest level. But we did. We had some really outstanding talent. And we were going to keep getting them. You know, you had guys like Antonius Cleveland coming on strong. You know, obviously he's in the NBA today. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple more guys signed uh, uh, from from local junior colleges that were going to be really good, and then they eventually went to other schools. But we, we felt like that it was just a matter of time before we could continue. Um, I mean, because when we played Murray State, you played some of those guys in the in in the uh, uh, in our in our in our gym. I mean, it was either sold out or standing room only. I mean, we were really starting to get some good crowds, and so. Uh, but anyway, with all, it, it's obviously disappointing. But but we did have some very good talent. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you talk about that team, and uh, you were saying that whenever Murray State would come, you know, it'd be, you know, standing room only. And you know, before you got to Semo, uh, my brother-in-law played on the 2001-2002 team back. You know after they made their only NCAA tournament appearance. And we would go to all the games because my sister was a cheerleader at the same time. So we'd go to all the home games and they're, you know, for the longest time, you know, from like maybe 2006 on before you got there, there was like a three year stretch where there couldn't have been a thousand people in the gym. Like, oh, was... uh, isn't that, yeah. Isn't that crazy, Chris? Isn't that something? But by the and, time. And, you, and, yep. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm told, and then after, after we leave, you know, they, and obviously they, you know, the athletic director hired his friend, and which is fine. Rick Ray is a good guy. I don't know him, but, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's an outstanding coach. But he, he couldn't really get it going. I mean, they just, uh, uh, you know, he had our, our NBA player, uh, Antonius Cleveland, the, the first year, and I think they won 14 games or 15. Yep. But after that, I don't I don't know that they have, and, and now they're going to make a change again. And and that's, that's kind of really the difficult, that's the problem with a level – of that school of that type of level, because, you know, you, you just wish, <clears throat> um, you know, obviously they want to be in the NCAA tournament every year and they're trying to figure out why, you know, you had a president <clears throat> that felt like we should be in the NCAA tournament and playing Kansas every game. Um, you know, they just really didn't know. And, and it, and, and it just hurts you. It, it hurts your program because um, you just, it's, it's just a tough situation, but um, obviously disappointing. But, uh, you know, we had some good times, man. We had some good teams, and, and uh, we, we were getting better and better players. You know, we had Michael Porter get over. It's unfortunate that he got hurt. <clears throat> but um, uh, it, it, it's a special job, and it's a special community. It's an incredible community. The people there are hungry to win they, they're hungry for a successful team but it's not going to happen overnight i mean you look at look at uh, coach Tuke with the football team sure. I, mean, I mean if if the athletic director hadn't hired him i'm sure after six years of losing seasons he would have fired him also but 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 if you let him stay and you let him build his team brick by brick taking his words yep. 
And now all of a sudden, he's an outstanding uh, coach that has done an incredible job at Southeast Missouri. But he was given those five or six years. To, I mean, I don't know if he had a winning season in five years. I don't think and he did. I, I don't think he did. And but but you know, obviously, you want to. When someone hires you, uh, you know, they're going to have allegiance to you and this and that. But so that's that's always a difficult thing. But but it's a special place and a special community. And let me tell you, at, at, at Southeast Missouri is very similar to Arkansas State. They they you know, I, I was in Cape Girardeau. Let me give you an example. Okay. I was in Cape, Cape Girardeau last weekend and I called one of my dearest friends that has one of the most popular drive through popular restaurants in the city of Cape Girardeau. And we sit out in his vehicle for an hour talking about the past. And he goes, you know, coach, because I told him, I said, I just want to tell you, thank you for what you did for me for six years at SEMO when I was there. I said, every time I called you, you never said no. I said, if I needed a new locker room, if I needed new jerseys, if I needed new whatever, you never said no. If I needed a hundred uh, sandwiches for after the game you never said no and he said you know what coach and since you left they have never called me since wow and you know and so that's that's the difference you know you got to have somebody hope the new guy will take all the initiative to go door to door and say hey i, I can't promise you we're going to win every game but i will promise you this we're going to play as hard as we can play we're going to have guys out there that you can relate to they're going to be good character guys. They're going to go to class, and and we're we're going to build this team. But it's going to take some time. I mean, you gotta you gotta build it. You gotta build it. But I had fun doing it, and I enjoyed every moment of it. I would I would never trade it. And uh, so, you know, with that, uh, I cert- I certainly miss it as well. So, what did you like, or what stands out in particular about coaching in the Ohio Valley? <clears throat> Well, I think the biggest thing is underrated. The OVC is very underrated league. If you look around the league, you know, uh, when, when my administrator told me they were going to fire me and he's given me reasons and he says, well, you had the best talent in the league. And I go, well, I appreciate that. Does that mean that I'm the best recruiter in the league? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> he, said, well, I, I, he said, well, I'm just saying that, you know, we, we, we always have the best talent. And I said, well, if you look over there to Moorhead State, now Kenneth Farid was a pretty good player. Yep. Um, uh, the one they had over at Belmont uh, that's still in the NBA today, uh, I can't think of his name right now, he was a pretty dang good player. If you look at the players that Murray State brings in and out, whether it be Cameron Payne or Isaiah, uh, all, uh, all those guys are pretty good. And <clears throat> for us to be talked about in the same breath, um, you know, that ought to tell you, but you had coaches in there that, you know, Donnie Trendle, you had uh, the coach at Austin P. Dave Luce. I mean, you had some really good coaches in there, but I just felt like, that the OVC was really underrated because the league was really good. And unfortunately for us, when I first came in, we didn't have Belmont. Yep. And a year later, here comes Belmont, and Belmont's pretty good. And all of a sudden, instead of us competing with Murray State trying to get to that level, now we have to compete with Belmont. And uh, we all know who, how good they are. <laughs> and so, you know... <clears throat> It's a very good league, but it's very underrated. 
And so, you know, you just have to pay attention, put your blinders on and build your program and try to recruit the best players you can get uh, to get in there and, and, and help you <coughs> succeed. So your time at SEMO, uh, what game comes to mind when you think, wow, that was a great win? You know, like on my end, you know, being in person for the 118 to 115 double OT win against Murray State at home comes to mind. But what game stands out in your mind? Well, that's the first one that comes to mind. There's a couple that I'll talk about. One was Eastern Kentucky. We were down. I'm not Eastern Kentucky. I think it was Eastern Illinois. <clears throat> I think we were down 20 at half, and we came back. And I think we were down 20 with 10 minutes to go. And we came back uh, to win going away. I think that was a big game for us. Um, the one that you mentioned, uh, the thing that I will always remember about that, I, I usually get to the gym after a shoot-around uh, go home and and uh, have a bite to eat and come back. Uh, when I came back, the lines were so long outside over the catwalk. If you you know where that yep. that the catwalk is, um, because they didn't open the gate, they didn't open the doors till six o'clock, and that line was so far. I, I I never seen anything like it. The athletic director called me and said, Coach Nutt, do you see what's going on outside? And I said, Well, I'm outside. I'm trying to get in and. And what I'm gonna do is just just walk down this line and and thank every and thank some people for coming, and and I, I'll never forget that night. Now, and I think the football team was there and 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 all force. Um, I think that Nino Johnson dunked at the end to put an exclamation on it. Yep. But I think they called a technical uh, on us or whatever. But the game was over. So I, I don't know. That was one game that really comes to mind that that, that I would always uh, – because I remember Brady Barkey coming in about an hour before the game, sat in the coach's office with me, and <clears throat> and he said, Coach, do you realize what, what's going on today? And I said, I said, Brady, Brady, and he said, that's a job well done. I said, well, I, I appreciate that, but I, I, I promise you I didn't do it. <clears throat> I have an incredible staff, and I said, these guys, these players, they, they believe in what we're doing, and, and we, we got a chance. We just we just really need to win tonight. <laughs> but all uh, that night right there was a special night to me. But if you notice the athletic director, <laughs> he, he didn't come in. So, you know, it just kind of <laughs> tells you where it was. <clears throat> but um, I, I thought that was a, a beautiful night. But, the one of the, but I got to tell you this, Chris. The one that stays with me the most that keeps me up at night Okay. Was the last time we played Murray? I think they were. They had a 25 game winning streak in the country. Uh, I think it was sold out again, or at least close. Um, and we were up three with I think eight seconds to go. There was a timeout called, and I instructed uh, my number one player, Antonius Cleveland. I said, as soon as they throw the ball in to sap. Yep. As soon as he makes two dribbles, I need you to foul him, and let's put him on the line. Okay, let's don't let him give up, get up three a three point shot. And so when they threw the ball in, he separated himself by speed, and it, it put Antonius Cleveland in a running position to try to catch him. And yep. when he's when he ran down, if you remember this game, when he ran down. Sap jumped up to shoot it, and he stuck his leg out, which is a violation. But he stuck his leg out, and Antonius Cleveland's momentum pushed him through his leg, and it fouled him. Yep. 
and they hit three free throws to go into overtime and they beat us. <clears throat> and that was a very, very, I mean, it's, it's to this day, it keeps me up <clears throat> because, you know, the plan was to foul, but we just couldn't get it done. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's sports and, and that's coaching. You got to have a little luck too. But, um, those are some of the games that, that stand out. Um, well, even in the show me center, we had, we had some good times, man. Well, even that, uh, the game you won against Murray in double overtime. I mean, it was, it was such a back and forth, well-balanced game. Cause I believe oh, you, you guys, you guys yeah, and at, a, Murray, at a high level, wouldn't you agree? It was, it was a high level. And I think both teams only went eight players deep the whole game. Well, you know what, what's amazing when you talk about that, we talk about the, you know, what, what do you, you know, what do you, what do I think about the OBC is that I was always getting calls from, from my buddies out of Arkansas, whatever. Hey, I've got this player. I got this player. I got this, you know, guy, you know, I need you to, you know, recruit this guy, whatever. And I said, okay, good. I'll recruit him, but you got to promise me one thing. You got to come watch us play one game. <laughs> and he said, okay, okay, great, great. I'll, I'll, I'll come watch y'all play. And he would come watch us play. And he'd call me after the game. He said, coach, I'm sorry. I had no idea the level of talent that you guys are playing with. He said, man, I watched y'all play, you know, Moorhead State tonight, or I watched y'all play Murray State. Ah, coach, this kid can't, you know. So on, on the surface, on the outside, you know, coaches and, and people, they think, hey, hey, I got a player that can play for you here at SEMO. But if you if they come watch us, you know, you walk with, like you say, that, that triple overtime against Murray State, um, you, I guarantee you one thing, those, those fans got their money's worth that night. Oh, and uh, that's, that's just a satisfying thing. So you were at Arkansas State, which was part of the Sun Belt. How do you think the Sun Belt compares to the Ohio Valley when it comes to the coaches, the player level, facilities, et cetera? Well, the Sun Belt uh, back in the late 90s and early 2000s is much different than it is now. The Sun Belt is nowhere near uh, what it was when, when I was in the Sun Belt. <clears throat> and, you know, we had uh, guys like Tim Floyd and, uh, you know, Whip Sanderson and Hugh Durham, uh, you know, all those guys were coaching in the Sun Belt. Uh, South Alabama, Ronnie Arrow, uh, Western Kentucky, Dennis Felton. Um, if you look at the Sun Belt back then, when you had 10 opponents, um, it was a much, much higher league than the OBC. Um, and I say that uh, with all certainly due respect to the OBC, but uh, the Sun Belt had a reputation of basketball only because they didn't have football sure. at that time. And so you had so many high-profile coaches in there. I was lucky to be a part of Arkansas State, and we were lucky after three years, win 20 games and win the Sun Belt back-to-back and go to the NCAA tournament first time in school history. And so that was a, a beautiful thing for us. Um, and then we, and I stayed there 13 years as a head coach. is probably another mistake. You know, they say you lose – about 10% of your popularity every year. So kind of do the math <laughs> on that 13 years. So, but, 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 Hey, I'm an Arkansas guy and, and I grew up in Arkansas. So I had uh, certainly a special love for that school. Um, but the OVC, when I arrived in the OVC and then when they included Belmont, the OVC, the one thing that OVC has, uh, the commissioner was really good and he was, they were, they were very consistent with their teams, you know, Austin P, uh, Murray state, Tennessee tech, you know, the, all these people, Simo, they, they all been in there for a while. And so 
they had some consistency there. And then also travel-wise, it was a good thing, for the exception of eastern uh, Kentucky and Moorhead. Everything else is, um, you know, a bus ride away. Sure. And, and unfortunately, we had to ride the bus to uh, to Moorhead State, you know, 10, 11 hours one way. So, mm-hmm. But the Sun Belt, to answer your question, the Sun Belt was a tougher league. Uh, they, they more athletes, better athletes, bigger, stronger, um, winning traditional programs. You know, you look at the Western Kentuckys of the world. Um, uh, you know, they were they were pretty good, and and um, you know, and, and for us to be able to win a Sun Belt championship and go to the NCAA tournament was certainly a big thing for us. But going to OVC, um, and then you fast forward into 2012 somewhere, the OVC was better, was just as good because the Sun Belt kind of broke up. You know, they went to football and they started going with Florida International, Florida Atlantic, and then now down in Louisiana Monroe, they're all over the place, you know, whether it be uh, Denver, Colorado, the University of Denver. So, you know, with all that being said, um, I hope I answered that. So currently you're at Cleveland State, as this is your second year on staff after spending time at Stetson and then time at Florida State. How has the COVID-19 affected Cleveland State, and what is the outlook for the team this season? Wow. You know, that's a, that's a great question. And let, let me just tell you this. Um, when I left SEMO, uh, I spent three years at Florida State with Leonard Hamilton. <clears throat> and I started my career at Oklahoma State with Leonard Hamilton. And so I kind of came full circle. And the day after I was fired at SEMO, Leonard Hamilton called and offered me a job on his staff. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's, it was certainly a blessing. Um, uh, being in the ACC and watching uh, Florida State play Duke and North Carolina every night, that was uh, <clears throat> pretty special. And then I go to Stetson, and then I, and then one of the young assistants at Florida State gets the job at Cleveland State, and he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I have been with him one year. It, it has been a, a fantastic experience uh, living in the city of Cleveland in the Horizon League, was certainly all new to me. Uh, being an uh, assistant head coach, um, a special assistant to the head coach, is, is a is a new role for me, but it's one that I I I, I love with with all my heart every day. I mean, I have so much fun. But the pandemic hit in March 23rd. We all went away. We all went home, sent our players home. And Chris, we hadn't been back since. Um, we've oh. done everything by Zoom. Um, whether it be Zoom meetings, whether it be workouts or anything, uh, obviously workouts have to be on their own. Um, and it has been a crazy thing um, uh, for our players. Uh, first, we were scheduled to possibly get back in July. They pushed it to August, and now they're pushing it uh, maybe uh, the mid mid August. So <clears throat> we really we really don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. Uh, the thing that we do know is that we don't have football at our school. We are primarily a basketball school. Obviously, we have, I think, 19 sports. But, but um, you know, everybody kind of depends on men's basketball, and which is a good thing. Um, but um, with all this being said, we, we certainly want to abide by all the rules and regulations of our uh, administrators on on on. The, the protection of, of staying safe and we certainly don't want to put our young people in in harm's way and so we're being extra careful about that but right now chris we really don't know i mean everything is you know we talked about it as a staff the other day about the best teams are going to be um who can adjust to the best scenarios 
you know, what what if we start August first? What if we don't start our season till January first? What if we don't get to practice till October first? You know, all of the what ifs. We wow. have to be ready and prepared, and uh, but but we uh, you know they're doing all their schooling online, and we meet about every other day as a team, and we check in probably every day as a team with our staff, and so we're kind of doing it from afar and from their homes, and so it's just a difficult time right now, and it's certainly one that we don't know much about. Well, I mean, it it's just seems like right now, not even just basketball, but, you know, like anything with, you know, like bars, restaurants trying to reopen, then they close. It just seems like everything's trial by error at this point. Oh, yeah, great, great choice of words there, Chris. You're exactly right. Everybody's, we really don't know. And, and, and you know, some, you, you hear all these different reports, but all I know is, is that you, you better respect it. You know, you can believe it or not believe it. I, I don't know. I can't be the judge of that. But I'll hmm. tell you this: if they tell me to wear a mask, I'm gonna wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they tell me to wash my hands, I'm gonna wash my hands because I I certainly don't want to get it, or I don't want anybody in my family to get it, or or players or anybody for that matter. So, right. you know, I think it's uh, something that we better respect. So to wrap this up, uh, Chris and I are both kind of big foodies. When you're at SEMO in Cape Girardeau, do you have a favorite place that you like to go eat, whether it was there in Cape or someplace that you look forward to when you're on the road in the Ohio Valley? Um, you, you know, we we had so we, we were really getting some support uh, in Cape Girardeau, and a lot of the supporters um, owned mm-hmm. restaurants, and. And we had buddies in these restaurants, whether it was Buffalo Wild Wings. We had a, <clears throat> a guy there that took care of us every time. You had Brian House over there at Chick-fil-A, a very dear friend of mine. Um, <clears throat> I, I think you can look at several different places. I, I don't know. Um, you know, we 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 like to eat, but I kind of left that up to, the, <laughs> to our players. But we, as far as I'm concerned, I went to Cape Girardeau the other day, and I went to two places. I went to Chick-fil-A to see my main man, Brad House, okay? And then the second, and I went and sat down and had some iced tea and chatted with some with some friends over at Wings and such. And so I love that place as well. So, uh, All right. <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, had some good times. But, you know, back when I was coaching there, we always had a radio show at Dexter's Barbecue. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always good. And so, you know, hey, I was all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to kind of wrap this up, uh, I couldn't tell you which year it was while you were at SEMO, but I know with my brother-in-law having played at SEMO in the early 2000s, we were talking to Eric Sean, you know, after one of the games, and then he had introduced me and then my brother-in-law to you because he asked if we had met the the new coach before, and he said no. And (laughs) the first words I – out of your mouth and it still cracks me up to this day is you asked my brother-in-law you have any years of eligibility left and if so can you <laughs> can you make a free throw because we can't make a free throw <laughs> <laughs> well i tell you what that had to be my first or second year didn't it wasn't it i think because it was we, we, hey we had we had an outstanding player leon powell and yep. leon if you have a minute i'll tell you this yeah. but you know, Leon, I went, I went to Leon's house as soon as I got the job about two days later or the next day I took the test, the NCA test, I passed it. And so I could go out on the road and recruit real quick. And the first guy I go see is Leon Powell. 
And I told Le- and Leon has everybody in the country recruiting him at our level, Murray States, you know, all these guys. <clears throat> and I told him that if, if, if we would come with me and start our program, I, I, I can promise you something special is going to happen to you. And uh, I, I think we're going to win, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But bless his heart, he couldn't hit a free throw if he had to that first year. <laughs> um, he came in on a recruiting visit. And, uh, and all he really wanted to do was shoot threes, you know, in the first few days of practice, I mean, he was after jumping up to shooting threes. I said, Hey, hey, Leon, 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 you're six, seven. You can jump out of the gym and you can really score around the basket. He said, yeah, coach, but I got a real good jumper. I said, yeah, I tell you what we're going to do. Let's use that jumper, you know, like on your off days and, I, I'm going to make you the best poor man in the country. Now, I, I didn't know if I could do that or not, but I guess, but guess what? He has a, uh, they have a plaque on our office wall that the number one field goal percentage yep. in the country. Yep. Is Leon Powell. You remember that? Yep. But, uh, but, but well, that year we couldn't hit a free throw if we had to. And I think that's probably what you're talking about. Isn't it? it could be. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, to come on, talk to SEMO and, you know, what else, you know, everything you're doing right now to stay with the game at Cleveland State. But I do want to give you a lot of credit because when you took over at SEMO, I mean, it was kind of a laughing stock at one point, you know, going three and 27 violations and then, you know, not being able to beat some of the lower Division One teams. You then brought in a lot of talent to where. I mean, you were you were competing with Missouri, Memphis, Arkansas, yeah. you know, those bigger schools and, you know, gave them everything they wanted. And it put SEMO back on the map. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that so much because, you know, sometimes as a coach, um, you know, obviously you just, you know, when, when, it, when it happens to you and they let you go, you just think about all the things you could have done different <clears throat> and what we could have, should have done and, and whatever, but – uh, I will say this: You're you're exactly right. Uh, and again, I didn't do it. I had a I had a great staff, and um, and I had some good young guys that wanted to come be a part of it. You know, whether it be Anthony Allison, Leon Powell, Lucas Nutt, all those guys. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we were pretty good, and um, obviously, wish we could have done better uh, to save everything. But you know, sometimes they think change is good, and it, it's not necessarily the best thing. I mean, sure. just um, after looking at it, but I just appreciate your kind words and it brings up a lot of good memories and, and uh, I just appreciate you, Chris, very much. Yep. Well, we appreciate it, Coach Nutt. And I, you know, appreciate you joining the show today and uh, really appreciate you having you on. Thanks, Coach. Absolutely. You call, call me anytime. All right. Awesome. Appreciate it, Coach Nutt. Thank you. You bet. And just want to give a special thanks to Coach Nutt for taking time out of his day to join the show. I know for me, I enjoyed watching his his teams play as at SEMO because I mean, they could score at will, you know, during Coach Nutt's years, you know, taking over the program from 2009 to 2015. And yeah, there were times they may have given up, you know, their fair share of points, but they could score with the best of them. Well, and you can tell just by talking to Coach. I mean. Can you imagine that guy coming to your living room and telling, selling you on his program? I, I think that's one of those guys I, I think could sell ketchup to a tomato farmer. <laughs> like he just, I mean, story after story that comes out of the guy. I've, I've spoken to him on a personal level, been at coaching clinics where he speaks, and every time the guy does not disappoint. It's just a lot of fun. Just He'd be a great guy to go on a road trip with. Oh, I'm sure. And just, 
hey, coach, give me this story. And just, <laughs> and just go I don't, with have, it. I don't have to talk for the rest of the, hour, for the, rest of the trip. <laughs> well, with that, let's go ahead and get into our Mount Rushmore segment. Uh, TJ will have Northern Iowa. I have SIU Edwardsville. TJ, I'll let you get it started with Northern Iowa. Okay. Well, I started off with uh, Ben Jacobson, uh, the player, not the coach. They're separate guys, so I don't want to make that mistake. Only member of the MVC Top 50. Third in scoring, sixth in steals, and seventh in assists. While he was at Northern Iowa, they went to three straight NCAA tournaments. He didn't win the Larry Bird Trophy in his four years because they had Kyle Korver from Creighton won back-to-back yep. Larry Bird trophies, and then Darren Brooks from Southern Illinois, Carbondale, won back-to-back. So you look in the 2000s, that, that range, that's really kind of the heyday of the Missouri Valley Conference where they say, you know, uh, Commissioner Elgin figured out how do we get more teams in, and, you know, this is, you know, the apex of the league, in my opinion. Two-time first-team all-conference played professionally in Germany and France, and he's in the Northern Iowa Athletics Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. So I think maybe if he's there at a different era, he probably brings home one or two Larry Bird trophies, but by all means, I think he's that first guy on the list. So the first guy I got on my list is Jason Holmes, played at SIUE from 1993 to 97. Uh, career leader in points, scored with one point shy of 1,950 for his career. Eighth in steals with over 100. Most three-pointers made for a career at SIUE with 222. He was all-conference second team during the 95-96 campaign. He's also part of the SIUE Hall of Fame and a member of the Indiana Hall of Fame for his accomplishments at Newcastle High School. Ooh, Newcastle. Well, I think it's one of those that's got like one of the biggest high school gyms in the country. Does it really? Yeah, like Indiana, their high school gyms are Huge. cathedrals. I I'm throwing out numbers here. I don't have them exactly, but of like the top 10 biggest high school gymnasiums, I think eight of them are in Indiana. Wow. They're just phenomenal places. Kind of like football stadiums in Texas. Yeah, so, those, those are huge. So, you, I mean, there's just a lot. It's just, it's, it's a different breed. You know, my father's from Indiana. He always talked about people would say, what's the difference between Indiana basketball and Illinois basketball? And he said, in Indiana, there's back to back games. People were there for both games. Now, you might have been cheering for one of the four teams, but you went to both games, which you don't see quite as much. Now, when your teams get good, sure, then you're I, you you see more of that, but he felt like it was everybody that did it, no matter what. Hey, we're here to watch two basketball games. So, But we're talking about the same two nut jobs between me and my dad that we drove over to Indianapolis <laughs> for the Crossroads Classic last year. And people are like, why'd you go? Like, well, he's always wanted to kind of do it. Like, But, I mean, that, you know, that was good competition, though, too. You right. Know, it's... Yeah, it's and, you know, and they have the the Camwex shootout in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And they have like eight games and be there all day. Do you know him? Nope, <laughs> just watching basketball. Yep. You know, so it's always a lot of fun. Second on my list is Seth Tuttle, much more recent, second team consensus All American, fourth in scoring, fifth in rebounds, seventh in blocked shots, and he was a Larry Bird winner in 2015, and two time first team All Conference as well. I think that. That team from that era, that Seth Tuttle was kind of the go-to guy for that group. And, uh, you know, another guy was a lot of fun to watch. I had a chance to watch in, you know, the years since I've started going to the tournament myself. So he was second on my list uh, for Northern Iowa's Mount Rushmore. So second on my list for SIUE, kind of a more recent guy, uh, Mark Yelovich played at SIUE from 2008 to 2013. One of those guys that played five years at the same school. 
Uh, third in career points with 1,467. Sixth in career rebounds with nearly 600. Eighth in block shots with 61. Also fourth in steals with over 100. And during all five years, he averaged at least 11.5 points per season. Now, there were a couple seasons where he was around 15, but each year he played, never never below double digits during his time. So consistent. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. yeah. Third on my list, uh, going a little farther back, maybe not like I've done with some of the other programs, but as deep as I went here for Northern Iowa, Jason Reese, 1986 to 1990. is their all-time leading scorer still. Seventh in rebounds, Northern Iowa Hall of Fame. He probably stands out to Northern Iowa fans because, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I could find, it was Northern Iowa's first NCAA tournament appearance in 1990, and he has 18 points and 15 boards when they were a 14 seed, and they defeat number three seed Mizzou in the 1990 wow. tournament. So uh, I didn't look into the Mizzou side. That might have been like the Doug Smith years. So we're going way back, you know, playing in the Big Eight still. Big so, Eight. Yep, the Big Eight, you know. The, the football conference, you know, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Colorado. And he was also two-time first-team all-conference. They were not in the Valley at that time. They were in what was called the Mid-Continent Conference. Yep. Yep. Remember that. A third on my list, J.B. Jones, 2004 to 2008 at SIU Edwardsville. Career leader in assists with 565. Career leader in steals with 227. Sixth in points scored with nearly 1,200, and he's also top 20 in rebounds. So not only could he shoot, but he was a good distributor, great defensive player, and could get, you know, could box somebody out too. Yeah, coaches always love those guys that box out. As a coach, I can tell you, if four of your guys box out, the kid who gets the rebound is the one who didn't get boxed out. It, yep, that's, it, that's it, how it, it always It never happens. fails. It's, it's one of those things that, it. yep. Coach, I blocked out 98% of the times. Yeah, but the last one was the one that the kid put back to win the game. Like, oh, you know. So double-checking, that 1990 Mizzou team had Doug Smith and Anthony Peeler and Melvin Booker. So if you're uh, familiar with uh, basketball from that era, that that's the team. So pretty impressive, that is impressive. put together there. Oh, sorry, it's my, my turn. Great radio here. Sorry about this. <laughs> uh Fourth one on my list is Adam Cook from the 2006-2010 era, and there were a couple of guys from this era that I could have uh, put on here. And ultimately, I thought with Adam Cook, he's the guy that they've put in the UNI Hall of Fame. Larry Bird winner and Scholar Athlete of the Year winner in 2010, back-to-back -back NCAA tournament appearances, two-time first-team all-conference in the Valley, and in 2010, 2010, he was kind of the centerpiece for that Sweet 16 team that had that okay. run that year. So, like I said, there were probably two or three other guys. I my list changed a couple times as late as this afternoon, <laughs> and finally, I just I think he was the one that was in the Hall of Fame. So, I put him in there. Northern Iowa, from what I could find, because I, I go by the MVC Media Guide, has no retired numbers. So that's usually the first place I like to start. Like, retired, okay, who yep. are the big who are the big numbers? Didn't have any. So I may be wrong. It may be someplace else. But, but you could not find I it. I could not find it. So I'm not saying my research skills are great, but uh, prove me wrong. I'm, I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong. To round out my Mount Rushmore for SIUE, and there's a good chance I pronounced this name wrong, um, Cale Peebles played at SIUE from 1975 to 79, 
Second in points scored for their career, uh, 1,824, played over 100 games as a Cougar. Second in assists with 437, and he's also part of the SIU Edwardsville Hall of Fame. I think you're missing a guy. Did you, Are you a wrestling fan? I can't stand wrestling. I can't stand WWE. I don't like oh. UFC. I don't like any of it. Now, see, I think you're looking at two different animals when you think UFC versus oh. WWE. I don't like either. But Or boxing. Boxing. Wow. Golly. I don't like it. Is uh, The gambling guy that you are. Yeah. You're not betting on boxing. I can't do but it. for the wrestling fans out there, the big show went to SIU Edwardsville and played on the basketball team about 1993 that's, yeah, 1993, because uh, we had family friend that was also on the team at Edwardsville at the time, so my parents went and watched him, and they said, they got this guy. They didn't even have a warm-up big enough for this dude. And left school, a family friend tells me, you know, a guy left, left school, wasn't going to play basketball anymore. The next year, Matt says he's going into lift weights, and all these people are gathered around the bench press, and this guy's just throwing up weight. <laughs> and I kind of... He's making his way through, and the guy gets done, puts it back on the rack. Now, he doesn't look the same. He's long hair, big bushy beard. Matt! She grabs him, hugs him, and Matt says, I'm just like, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> puts it down. He's like, oh, Paul, it's you. <laughs> and he was wrestling at some circuit in Georgia at the time and had contracted to lose all of his fights. And now I'm going off of memory here of 25 yeah. years ago. But that, so, yeah, the big show played basketball at SIU Edwardsville. Yeah. So I, I'll be honest, I really don't know why, but I've just never been able to get into it. I I don't know if, if it's a certain taste you got to have in it, but I just, gambling or not, I, I can't do it. Right. I, well, wrestling, I think, is purely entertainment. They had to concede that, so they didn't have to do the licensing and everything like boxing and UFC. And, you know, my sons have gotten into it, and, you know, we've, we've done the pay-per-views, and I mean... You want to be entertained, pay to go to a wrestling event. The closer you sit, the more you pay, obviously, but the more convinced those people are that this is an actual thing, that this is not not scripted, it's not planned out, stuff like that. Uh, former student of mine, his father used to work security at the Enterprise Center, and he talked about those people who come in there. He goes, they'd be all worked up. He'd be like, hey, you want me to tell you who wins? You don't know who wins. <laughs> yeah, I do. I watched him rehearse this afternoon. <laughs> he said they'll be backstage, you know, like, also they're like getting each other's face, like, you know, breathing heavy and like trying to, you know, get each other riled up. And they'll go out, wrestle, and they walk back off like, all right, good show, good show. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it's just That's entertainment wild. to them. And people who, you know, try to say, well, it's fake. Like, yeah, so is that movie you watched. So is that TV show you watched? Like, well, yeah, what those people get so into? Like, you're telling me you haven't watched a, a, a drama? You you tell me you watched This Is Us and haven't gotten teared up? <laughs> you know, that was staged. That was working up on your emotions. So it's just a different kind of entertainment. Uh, my oldest one was really into it. And one of uh, our younger ones, now one of our 13-year-old, like, he won't come into family movie night on Mondays or Fridays because there's, there's wrestling on. So, you know, it's entertaining. There's a lot worse things that he could be watching. So... I think, like, you're right, you're right, though. It's a taste. I think you really get into it and the drama of it, the, the storylines of it. And Ed, Ed McMahon, <laughs> good Lord. Vince. Vince McMahon has done a great job with it. I mean, that guy, he puts on a show, and it's it's really entertaining to watch. And sometimes when you're there at the live events, like I said, the the better show is the crowd itself. Like watching, I saw about a six- or seven-year-old kid one time, double birds, 
just, I mean, he was in the aisle and just both number ones up there. I'm like, holy cow, like, what is going on here? Oh, man. But, uh, TJ, you got any final thoughts here to uh, wrap up the episode? Well, I think you got to give wrestling a chance. Well, <laughs> okay, so if, if we're going to talk about Vince McMahon, I'm going to go a completely different route here then. Loved what he did for the XFL, bringing St. Louis, a football team back, you know, having season tickets for the Battle Hawks, Kakaw. Um, you know, it, it was great. It was great yeah. to have football back since the Rams left. And those, you know, St. Louis only had two home games during that, but, man, the Dome was rocking. Oh, it was electric. And I know the season got cut short, but from what I've seen out there, there seems to be some multiple people interested in, you know, buying the, the yeah, league. And, and I think one thing for that <clears throat> league to do, and they had that was the AAF that came in mm-hmm. right before then, and they announced after. So that created some uh, things about finding locations. I think if I had Vin, if I was spending Vince McMahon's money this time, that I would look for cities that don't have NFL teams. Exactly. Uh, you know, those are the towns that you go to, and like, hey, what do you think? You know, San Antonio. Yep. Uh, maybe you go to Oklahoma City or a Tulsa, <clears throat> someplace like that. So. Well, you look at that and. You know, I'm not going to, you know, try and be biased here because the Rams moved to L.A., so, you know, you know it kind of irritated me. But if if you live in Los Angeles and you just got done, you know, supporting two NFL teams, there are so many better things to do in Los Angeles during this time of year than to go watch a Los Angeles Wildcats football game. Right. You know, and th- that's why they were last in attendance. Right. You know, you, you know, you already had struggling attendance for one of your NFL teams with the Chargers, and you know they have uh, they have two MLS teams, yeah. two of they get two of everything, and you know maybe the a new XFL tries to go someplace like Oakland and San Diego. Yeah, I mean, you know, wouldn't hurt. You know, it it's worth a shot. I hope it comes back. So. But that'll wrap up episode nine here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we get into more Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley basketball talk, as well as doing our Mount Rushmore on Southern Illinois and Southeast Missouri State. Again, a special thanks to Coach Dickie Nutt for joining the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google and give the show a follow on Twitter at U Valley's Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.